Jacob Alpern, the team of Brass, and Carson Sestouli. This is Fangraphs Audio. My guest on this edition of Fangraphs Audio making his weekly Monday appearance. It's his weekly Monday appearance as managing editor of Fangraphs, Dave Cameron. What follows, as he does every week, Dave Cameron endeavors to analyze all baseball of note with regard to baseball. Is that since Dave Cameron's last appearance on the podcast, the Major League Baseball playoffs have started. And in fact, already two of the divisional series, as I talk, two of the divisional series have been, have concluded. And what follows, I asked Dave Cameron about those. Towards the end of our conversation, we look at, in a provisional way, we look at the free agents of the 2014-2015 offseason, a brief look at them. Also, at some point in the conversation, which follows, Dave Cameron succinctly diagnoses the host's weaknesses as an interviewer. This is the longest question about the longest playoff game. Yeah. Fangraphs Audio features managing editor Dave Cameron, and it begins right now. I'm good. How are you? Good. Do you um, watch any playoff baseball? Uh, a little bit. Yeah. Yeah. I uh, <clears throat> I do, I both didn't um, watch less than half of, but watched hours of the Giants game the other night. Yes, you watched a baseball game, but they played another one. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Well, <laughs> no, they played. I I came into it late. We were visiting some family in the western part of New Hampshire, and I noticed everyone went to bed, and I noticed that that game was still. I said, oh, well, it's in the ninth inning. Surely it will end soon. Yeah. Didn't. Uh, yeah. The western part of New Hampshire, is that the white part? The, are you referring to the mountains? Because the white no. mountains are there. No, no. I was, what, is that uh, where all the white people live? Uh, they kind of, they do a good, pretty good job of covering the entire state. Okay. Yeah. They do that. Yep. Um, I want to say that that was a long game. I think that everyone knows that. Uh, <laughs> it was a long game. Six yeah. hours and 20 minutes, I think. Is it the long? Hey, I noticed that a lot of the longest playoff games in baseball history have taken place since the year 2000. And I surmise that that is a combination of the following. This is the longest question about the longest playoff game yeah, well, in baseball good. history. It's yeah. fitting then, and uh, <laughs> it must have something to do with the fact that at certain points in the in the 2010s, the aughts, there was a lot of offense, and also there was uh, there are more playoff games than there used to be because there's wild cards, etc. I think that is the bigger uh, bigger portion of the pie is that mm-hmm. you have more playoff games, you have more chances for long playoff games. Right. Okay. Yeah. yeah, that's always the thing. You see, like, a metric, oh, this guy has more strikeouts than anyone's ever right. had. Yeah, but then you right. say, well, yeah. And, like, for a while, the Yankees, the, like, it was just, like, those, you know, the core four, they are right. sometimes called. Yeah. Uh, they had all the records for yeah. playoff appearances and right. uh, everything that goes along with it. If you're using counting stats for playoff games, you're going to end up with just a list of current players basically like i think uh albert pools just became the all-time postseason home run leader like has more than reggie jackson and mickey mantle mm-hmm. but albert pools has played exclusively in the era of uh four playoff teams per league and uh three rounds and so you know the playoffs are just longer than they used to be like it's 
they're pretty meaningless stats. Like, I get why people like to tweet them out or mention them on broadcasts or something. Like, it's it kind of sounds neat to be like, this guy's done this more in the postseason than everyone else. Right. But the postseason is not now what it used to be. And so we're really, it's not a, a fair comparison in any, it's right. basically just trivia. Right. Yeah, it's trivia. And it's fine. I, I guess it's fine to do whatever. But I, I always wish there was just some acknowledgement of the fact that, uh, that there was. We're, we're acknowledging it now. We're acknowledging it yes. now. This yeah. is acknowledgement of that fact. Well, it's potential. I say, what is the value of just acknowledging it? Maybe we are, maybe we are, um, saying aloud a, a, we're making aloud a comment that someone has said to themselves, but they have not been able to commiserate with anyone. So recognize that your concerns have been, you have been heard. Uh, yeah, Dave Cameron commiserates all baseball. Yeah. There's your headline for the week. Yeah. The, uh, so a thing that happened, I think it's maybe even the last two years, we, there were a bunch of, uh, the, there were three or four teams which had not won the World Series as recently as three or four other teams. And, and, but the, the teams that had been more successful in recent years were all the ones that made it through to the next round. Um, but that is not that has not happened during this particular playoffs thus far. Yeah, I mean, right. So this is another one of your famous like not a question, but so then say, expect so me to respond to your statement. <laughs> My point is that Kansas City and Baltimore, one of those two teams, will be going to the World Series. Correct. That's yeah. a that's a thing. Mm-hmm. Would and, you like to ask a question? <laughs> yeah, right. Well, I guess it it seemed as though there was a conspiracy over the last couple of years. I guess there probably wasn't a conspiracy preventing. Um, what were some of the, I guess like the the new version of the Oakland A's from getting to the World Series because it would be and they still are not going to the World Series, um, but I'm trying to think of the other slightly unusual teams that have made it of late. I guess the the Pittsburgh Pirates. Uh, I mean they making making the playoffs has been a big deal for them, but going further would would be nice. Um, but now we have Kansas City and or Baltimore. It's been what since '85 since. Uh, Kansas, well, Kansas City won in '85, and then eh, Baltimore. Did they? When was the last time they made it somewhere? I think '83. Okay, all right. So we have two teams that roughly it's been uh, 30 years almost. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Long time. Yeah. That's exciting. Is it? Uh, I don't know. Is it? Does it reveal anything about uh, fair play? I don't know. But that's a or, you know it, uh, equity between the teams. <laughs> fair play. Yeah. No one was murdered in no these one, playoffs. Well, fair, fair, fair play. Well, there's a question of parity, right? Is yeah. There, right. Is it? Is it? Uh, you know, is it illustrative of parity, or is it just this happens because if you so, play for long enough? I think it's one of those things where the answer is yes. It, it, it is illustrative, illustrative, however you want to pronounce mm-hmm. that word, but also one of those things that people can say this is illustrative of something that isn't true. Like the Royals and Orioles this year by UZR are the two best defensive teams in baseball, so you can say this series is illustrative of the fact that defense is the most important thing and defense and bullpens wins and starting pitching and hitting are totally overrated. Uh, it's not. It's just that having to be the result this time. However, on the parity question, we are in kind of a golden age of parity for Major League Baseball. I've written about this uh, for ESPN and some other places over the last couple of years. If you look at kind of the, the parity in baseball, the competitive balance, uh, this is kind of an unprecedented run of not having one team dominant. Obviously, we had the the Yankees in the mid-90s who, uh, you know, won their division basically every year, made the playoffs for 20 straight years. Uh, we don't have anything like that right now in baseball. We have a lot of the big spending teams had down years. Whether it's uh, structural or random, we don't really know. But we can say that over the last few years, 
the little guys have won far more often than they have throughout baseball history, and that has continued in this postseason. Right. It seemed as though, like, those, those good Yankees teams, when they began that run in the mid-90s, it seemed as though, at that point, it seemed to me, as though they would never be bad. Yeah. I mean, I think, you know, for those of us who kind of, not necessarily grew up, but I, as a child of the 80s and a teenager of the 90s, uh, so I remember the Yankees being bad when I was a kid, mm-hmm. uh, but, you know, in kind of my formative baseball years, they got good and were good <laughs> really until about two years ago. Uh, mm-hmm. So for most of my adult life, the Yankees have just been good every year, and it seems like with their payroll advantages and their brand advantages and all the things that go along with being the Yankees, it would be hard for them to fail. And I think we've seen over the last couple of years what it would take for them to fail, and that's basically all of their players getting old and bad at the same time. Right. I mean, is there a, is there a reason to believe with the with the current structure, um, with revenue sharing, et cetera, is there is there a peak t- to the length of time for which a team could be good? Or I mean, is there is there uh, is it so improbable that a team could be good for longer than that that Yankees team uh, was good? Uh, I mean, I think that's probably you probably can't expect more than like a twenty year run without just running into some kind of bad luck where you know some pitcher's arms blow out or you just have a down year, some prospects don't develop or something that's out of your control just goes the wrong way. Uh, to expect you know to win every year for thirty or forty years is probably unreasonable. Uh, but I think you know when you have kind of built in advantages like the Yankees had, we don't currently have as much as they used to, but had at some point. Uh, you know, I think sustaining excellence year in and year out shouldn't be uh, beyond reason, uh, just understanding that there's going to be some years where things don't go your way. And, you know, kind of like this year, not necessarily the Yankees were a great team, but I don't think you could have predicted that everyone in the rotation was going to get hurt this year. Right, okay. Um, let's see. I, do, I, do, I want to say something about the Royals, but it, it's, I guess it's difficult because what they did is when they won three games. Um, and there's, they, they won three games a lot during during the regular season, I assume, or you know, they they won three out of five at least a number of times. Uh, it's still surprising to see them in there. Maybe I don't know if it's because of the group of players specifically or just because of the uniform. Uh, but they for, for a while it looked as though they would not be in the playoffs, and now uh, they have dispatched of their opponents uh, pretty easily. Um, I, again, Cameron, just say something about the Royals. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I think this is one of the things where it might be tempting to look at last night's game and, you know, it wasn't particularly competitive. The Royals won fairly easily and think, oh, they slept and they won the last game by a large margin. This was an easy win. The first one went to extra innings, <laughs> and the second one was a one-run win. Like, these were not uh, these were not blowouts. Like, the Royals didn't destroy the Angels. They, did, they beat them pretty handily last night. And they did win all three contests. But this was not a, you know, the Angels couldn't hang with the Royals. We find out that the Royals are really uh, just a juggernaut that we've been underrating for a long time. This was the Royals winning a couple of close games. And then, uh, you know, the Angels got a pretty terrible pitching performance from C.J. Wilson. And they have uh, put in probably their wrong relievers and, uh, after they took Wilson out. And so they gave up eight runs. And so, uh, you know, I don't think we can say too terribly much about the quality of either team. I would say the Angels are probably still a better team than the Royals. Uh, on the whole over the season. They certainly weren't last week. Uh, but I do think, you know, the Royals are an interesting team in that uh, perhaps, and this kind of applies to the piece I wrote about the Orioles this morning, uh, perhaps they are better constructed for the playoffs than they are for the regular season because they lean so heavily on their bullpen. And so, uh, you know, I think we know, obviously, Wade Davis and Greg Holland and Kelvin Herrera are, are very good, and now it looks like Brandon Finnegan might also be 
quite quite good uh, as a reliever. So you have those four arms, uh, and you can you know maybe get 12 outs a game from those guys. The rest of your team doesn't have to be that good uh, because if you get you know 12 outs and you only give up one run. Uh, you know, the, you can be pretty mediocre the rest of the time and, and win a lot of games. So, and, and then they know. also have a player in uh, ah. Terrence Gore, for ah. example, who who can uh, still steal a base at will. Yeah, which Anytime. which is uh, which is handy to have. Um, I, I believe, as Rob Nyer has pointed out several times today, Terrence Gore didn't actually score a run in the series. Very exciting player to watch, and uh, you know, stole some big bases, but didn't actually score any runs. Oh, that's that is interesting, yeah. And, and I think it's one of the narratives of the series, right? Is like the Royals stole all these bases. It's like, yeah, well, they also hit home runs. That's why they won. The, they they stole their bases against the Angels or against the A's. That's why they won that game. The the home runs were a beat the Angels. Right, and it's a little bit. Uh, I think are the home runs a bit of a surprise, seeing as they hit the fewest of yeah, everybody. Hit like ninety four this year. They've hit like ninety three in the postseason. I think. Uh, yeah, I mean, I think even if you look at the guys who are hitting home runs, like okay, Eric Hosmer has been talented and produced before, but certainly didn't have a good year this year. Mike Moustakas was in AAA for a good stretch of the season, has been miserable, uh, and has two home runs in the series. Uh, you know, they're, they're getting home runs from guys who maybe you would have thought. A couple of years ago, based on their prospect type, oh yeah, these are the guys who will be hitting home runs for the, for the Angels in the postseason, mm-hmm. or for the Royals in the postseason, but, you know, based on their 2014 performances, or even their more recent last few year performances, you wouldn't expect these guys to be slugging a thousand in the playoffs. Right, which is what they're doing. Uh, of course people will be disappointed, uh, with regard to the Angels insofar as, what well, they, they had the best regular season record. And they went out sort of feebly. Uh, you, you sort of gestured to this a little bit, but is this uh, just a product of a, a couple of bad games or a couple of bad pitching performances in particular? So yes and no. So I think, you know, you replay the postseason a bunch of times, the Angels probably end up in the World Series and win a decent amount of them. Like, I think they're still one of the better teams in baseball. Uh, and at the same time, I think they're, they're a team with some real problems, kind of like the Tigers, where you can look at it and be like, their window is not going to be open forever. And some of their core players are getting older and worse. And I think we're seeing kind of, you know, probably the end of C.J. Wilson as a high-quality guy you want to be starting in in clutch postseason games. Like, you know, he might be able to help you as a, a back-end innings eater going forward or maybe be a really good reliever. Maybe he'll transition back to the bullpen and have a second career down there. But as a, you know, the number two starter on a quality playoff team, probably not anymore. Uh, you know, Albert Poole certainly uh, had a decent bounce back year but isn't what he used to be. And Josh Hamilton looks like a... Uh, a lost cause almost. I mean, he was just completely hopeless in this series to the point where I think it's now arguable that he might not be a better player than Colin Cowgill, which, you know, for $125 million, not what the Angels were counting on. So getting Garrett Richards back next year will help. You know, Matt Shoemaker, if they have a whole year from him in the rotation, obviously Jared Weaver's still there. This isn't a team that needs to rebuild. There's no Mike Trout, you know, Howie Kendrick, Eric Ibar. They're good players here, uh, but they've got some weaknesses, and and some of their key expensive players look not that useful. It seemed as though there was one point right uh, in the middle of that, the, the middle of his last year with the Rangers, in which Hamilton, uh, I mean, he had always he'd always been you know always swung at pitches outside of the zone, but he was either not making sort of contact or that or that trend deepened and worsened. And, yeah. I mean, is there some, is it really like, is it really that easy as, as looking at like the middle of that 2012 season and then extrapolating from there that he, he's had difficulties? I think the thing with Josh Hamilton that's tricky 
is that he has succeeded before with an approach that no one else has succeeded with. So I think uh, it was probably that last year of the Rangers, I believe, that I wrote a series of articles. One of them was called Josh Hamilton, King of Swings, that basically went through and looked at his swing rate uh, and, and his outside zone swing rate. And he was basically by himself uh, on this island of guys who chase pitches out of the zone and swing recklessly and have no concept of approach at the plate and success. And then he stopped having success, which is basically what you generally expect. When you find a guy who's the only guy you can find in 20 years who succeeded this way, you would expect that he probably wouldn't be able to keep doing this. Mm-hmm. Uh, and he has since stopped being able to do this. So you can make some general statements and be like, hey, look, baseball has told Josh Hamilton uh, and all players, <laughs> stop swinging your pitches out of the strike zone. You can't do this anymore. Maybe when you're physical prime, when you were a crazy good athlete and you had an amazing bat speed, you could swing at anything you wanted and still be good. Pitchers have figured you out. You need to change. On the other hand, we've seen Josh Hamilton succeed with a terrible approach at the plate before. So to say he can never do it again seems a little bit of a fallacy in that he has shown that he doesn't necessarily need to be a disciplined hitter in order to be good. Um, I think the current version of Josh Hamilton absolutely has to make some adjustments. Like he has, he's not a good player anymore. He's probably an average at best big leaguer, and that's when he's going well. Uh, and so for him to remain a viable player in a starting lineup, he's going to have to make some real adjustments before next year. Hey, I have a question. So so Josh Hamilton had a weird uh, had a weird sort of developmental uh, path. Yeah. Uh, because he had some problems with drugs. He was a top prospect, and then he yeah. was uh, gone, basically. And then uh, – but he came back, and, of course, he had that – that one season where he, uh, you know, reemerged with the Reds and was quite good for about a half a year, a little more than that, and then yeah. he became Josh Hamilton, excellent hitter. Yeah. For four and a half, five years. Right. Uh, is, is there any reason to believe that because of that curious developmental path on the front side, that that is somehow affecting him on the backside of his career? The you know the on his uh, in his decline phase. Yeah, I mean, I think people have speculated about, like, what those missing years would mean for his aging curve. We don't really know. We don't have precedent of guys, his level, taking off several years and then coming back and basically no minor league experience and jumping right into big leagues and becoming a good player. You could theorize that because he missed all that development time that he should still be kind of gaining the experience that most guys get in the minor leagues and the major leagues. And so you would think, okay, you know, plate discipline's a thing that you essentially learn uh, to some extent, in minor leagues, you learn how to not chase pitches out of the zone. You learn how to be more selective and, and kind of work the count. Uh, so maybe Hamilton will pick this up as he goes. And I think there was even some signs of that in Texas, where he was not a complete and utter hack uh, as much as he was earlier on when he first came up. And he kind of seemed to be moving away from that. And then a couple of years ago, he just regressed entirely. And it's whether he stopped caring or stopped trying or... Uh, it's just a physical problem that looks like a plate, plate discipline problem. We don't really know. But for whatever reason, a couple of years ago, he just entirely went the wrong way. It's, a new, it's, I think, difficult to say that he's struggling because he didn't get that minor league time. I think you would argue maybe that he should be developing more than the average player his age who didn't, you know, because he didn't have the access to the minor leagues and the, that kind of phase of his career, but it doesn't seem to be bearing out that way. He seems to be aging worse than we would have expected, not better. Right. Yeah. Well, uh, it reminded me, in, to some degree, of the of Rick Ankiel's uh, career path. Rick Ankiel was never the hitter that Josh Hamilton was at his peak, 
But Ankiel, after curious development because he was a pitcher early on, emerged as as like a 27-year-old. Yeah. And had two or like one and a half pretty competent seasons and then had moments for the rest of his career. But yeah. then I, I don't know if he was if he was figured out maybe. Uh, his, his strikeout rates uh, more or less escalated uh, for the duration of his career. But I, do, do you think that the Rick Ankiel uh, career path as an offensive player – uh, lends any sort of uh, help to looking at Hamilton's career, or is that totally off? No, I think that, you know, we kind of have similar molds of players, and I think, you know, you could even make some extrapolations to maybe a guy like Joey Gallo, who has drawn walks in the minor leagues, but also swings and misses at super high rates. Chris Carter, uh, some of these guys were just, you know, epic strikeout guys. Uh, it seems like there is some kind of limit to where your physical prowess and your ability to hit the ball and make really hard contact can allow you to survive with contact problems uh, or play discipline issues, however you want to describe them, uh, for some number of years. But you're kind of teetering on a cliff, right? Like where when you lose the one skill that is driving all of your offensive value, uh, any loss of that is going to have a cascading effect and you're going to fall off a cliff real fast. This is the, at least the theory. Whether we can prove this or not, probably not. But it seems like guys like this who are heavily dependent on contact uh, force, essentially, of when they hit the ball, they need to hit it really hard. You know, a 5 or 10% decline in bat speed or uh, authority on contact can have a real negative effect on their overall production because that's the only thing they have. Right, and it should be noted, too, uh, Hamilton, who has typically sustained relatively high batting averages in ball and play, uh, had a 350 BABIP this year. <laughs> and he still wasn't very good. And he still, I mean, right, he was only 13% better than average. Yeah. So that's that. I mean, that's a little bit frightening to look at too. Um, if we say uh, yes, on the one hand, he probably he, he because of how he how he how hard he swings or how hard he's able to make contact with the ball, he probably has the ability to sustain those higher babips. But if that declines, which is sort of to your point, if that declines, then there is a lot's going to fall down faster than it would for like. A uh, player who's like, you know, the polar opposite of that, you know, like Tommy LaStella. Right. His entire game is predicated upon controlling the strike zone, and that's it. Yeah, I mean, I think, you know, one of the things we think we can say about how players age is that power eventually goes. Your bat slows, you just don't hit the ball as far. And so, in order to keep hitting for power, you can do one of two things. Or, in order to keep hitting, I guess you can do one of things, two things. You can control the strike zone, and you can hit for more contact, and you can slap the ball all over the field and trade power for singles and doubles and become, you know, more of a Wade Boggs or John Olerud type of hitter. Or you can cheat, and you can kind of do what Raul Abanez has done for the last few years and sell out for pull power on every single pitch and expand the zone. And when you run into one, you can hit 20 or 25 home runs, but you're going to do it with a 310 on base percentage or 320 on base percentage or something. And I think most of these aging power guys end up going that direction, and they, they cheat for pull power, uh, and so they get out in front of stuff. They can't hit the ball to the, the other side of the field. They're easy to shift against. Uh, and this time seems to be the way that most aging hitters go. Perhaps uh, if Hamilton is is not going to uh, be able to successfully even do that because of his terrible approach at the plate, maybe he needs to uh, work on hitting the ball the other way and trying to become more of a high-average hitter. You're not at what you'd expect from Josh Hamilton given his skill set, but it looks like what he's doing right now certainly isn't working. Not working, yeah. Um, oh, you mentioned with regard to uh, to the Tigers or, or a team that maybe has some flaws that might be exposed in the, in the years to come. Not not that they're going to fall off a cliff, but that you know there's a certain window for every team when it's very competitive and 
they they may be more towards the end than the beginning of that particular window. Uh, uh, it, it's hard not to to think about the Tigers um, of this current season, this current postseason, without thinking about the bullpen and its <laughs> difficulties. Yeah. Uh, as you noted, I think today. The ERA was miserable and much more miserable when you discount the two innings that were thrown by Annabelle Sanchez, who's typically a starter. Not not miserable. An ERA of 33. Right. So this is like Adam Dunn in a slump. Yeah, 33. That's if yes, right. If a team were to really allow were to allow yeah. 33 runs every nine innings, <laughs> they, they would have a hard time winning. I, would, I think like what a major league team has only scored 30 runs like three times in baseball history or something. Like <laughs> right. this is uh, this is. Yeah, a, a position player on the mound couldn't pitch this badly if he right, tried. Right, and um, uh, is that was that just? Um, I mean, did, with with what Osmus had to work with, did did he did he do the best he could? Well, no, <laughs> certainly right. not. Uh, I think you know we don't know enough about Anibal Sanchez's health. Uh, you know, he did spend a good chunk of the year on the DL. He's been a starter. We don't know the intricacies of how much he could have been used. It seems like he could have been used more than he was. The, removing him in the eighth inning in game two seems like a mistake. Uh, and I didn't hear anything to the effect that he needed to be removed other than, you know, he got them through the bridge innings and so now it was Java Chamberlain's turn because Chamberlain's set of guy and Nathan was the closer. That seemed foolish and it, it worked out quite poorly, uh, for the Tigers. Uh, you know, I think, you can question the way Soria was handled after he got to Detroit, but there's health issues there too. You, once you start getting into like whether a pitcher could have been used differently based on whether he was healthy or not, I think that's kind of the limitations of what we can talk about. On the other hand, we can say with some certainty that Anibal Sanchez was the Tigers' best reliever, and if healthy, Soria was the second best reliever, but Osmus used Java Chamberlain and Joe Nathan, who were maybe their fourth and fifth best relievers in their most important spots. Uh we know that, uh, yeah, Annabelle Sanchez is probably the best. Did, did Rick Porcello pitch at all during this series? He didn't. He was he would have started today if they had not lost yesterday. Okay, he would have started today. Yeah. So they had uh, Scherzer, Verlander, Price, and Price. Porcello. So they were going to go with a four a four man rotation. Correct. Which I don't know if you if you if you have a very shallow bullpen. Yeah. Um, potentially disastrous bullpen. Does it make sense to do that, or does it make sense to move two of those starters to the bullpen so that you have them to piggyback on your your other your your three most talented starters? I think in retrospect, you could probably say like, oh man, wouldn't it have been nice to have Porcello and Sanchez in order to pitch? But there's no way to predict that the bullpen, the Tigers bullpen, which wasn't great this year, but certainly wasn't like the worst in baseball. Mm-hmm. Uh, and you know, especially after picking up Soria, who is a quality reliever. Uh, this should have, this unit should have been okay. They should have been able to run an ERA of four or some four and a half, maybe if they did really poorly in the postseason. They ran an ERA of eleven, <laughs> and uh, I just I don't think that this is something you could say. Well, you should have seen this coming. You should have managed the entire roster differently, knowing that Joe Camasoria was going to have an ERA of fifty four. Like that just wasn't knowable in advance. Right. Yeah. Okay. Uh, let's see. The uh, Dodgers. Clayton Kershaw had a rough start, huh? Yeah, he was really good, and then for one inning he was really terrible. Oh yeah, right. Wasn't this? Uh, was it you who mentioned it, or someone else? It starts in which uh, the starter has recorded ten plus strikeouts and also allowed like seven or eight plus runs. That was not me. It was not you. Well, anyway, yeah. guess what? It's a rare feat. Yeah, sounds seems like a thing. It's difficult. Now is that so? I assume that there's a some correlation 
between the rate at which a pitcher is melting down and but so if you see that a pitcher is, is melting down, if it's a pitcher who's not particularly good, you say, oh, well, we'll relieve him immediately because there's no history of him being that good. Yeah, okay, great. He had six, seven great innings, but now he's maybe becoming himself. But if Clayton Kershaw, if it's happening to Clayton Kershaw, you have to say, well, realistically, is there anyone better that we could bring in? Because we know that Clayton Kershaw is very good. He's had, uh, you know, I mean, he probably had the best season among all pitchers this year. Yeah, I mean, not probably. He did. Yeah, uh, yeah I think that's one of the tricky things for a manager with a guy like Kershaw or one of these high-quality starters is if they start giving up runs early, do you actually believe you have a better pitcher in the bullpen going forward? You can't undo the runs they've already given up. Uh, but as the game goes on, as we've talked about numerous times on, on the site lately, there is a decline in performance for starting pitchers. Should we which, just get? Should we actually just bring a dead horse on? Yeah, the we, should, we should just whip it, and just <laughs> constantly whip it. Yeah, the times of the order penalty is is kind of our new talking point, I guess. Uh, but it's an important thing, and so even as a guy like Kershaw, you know, as he gets uh, his pitch count gets up and he faces guys multiple times, he becomes somewhat human. <laughs> and if you have relievers who are uh, generally more effective than starting pitchers, and they don't have the times of the order penalty they're going to be better than even one of the very best starting pitchers in baseball once the times of the order penalty starts kicking in. And so, you know, if you're a guy like Mattingly and you've got Kershaw in the sixth or seventh inning and he starts getting hits, you should consider putting an inferior pitcher on the mound because Clayton Kershaw is no longer Clayton Kershaw. Well, that's the, that, that's the thing that is asked of, I mean, certainly it's asked of fans and, and I, it's asked of coaches too. Right? That's the biggest shift between between regular season and postseason baseball is recognizing that those roles which players have occupied during you know over 162 games mm-hmm. in which they're very comfortable they have to be changed a little bit in order to optimize the chance that that club's chances of winning and in particular with regard to starting pitchers you say oh well normally you pitch seven however much Kershaw averaged I assume between seven seven or at seven. Uh, you, that may not be ideal for you because we have, you know, some combination of Kenley Jansen and I don't know who else is out there. Uh, they only really have Kenley Jansen. Their uh. bullpen's bad besides Kenley Jansen. But at the same time, I think we even hear former pitchers talking about this on the broadcasts. One of the things that we kind of try and use in order to quantify tiring pitchers is the number of high leverage pitches they throw. And then you hear these guys who pitched in the postseason say, you know, the reality is that, you know, maybe a pitch in the regular season uh, or a pitch in the postseason is equal to two regular season pitches because the every pitch is important. There's no such thing as a low leverage inning in the playoffs. Like, even if you're up three to one in the fifth inning, that's a fairly low leverage situation in the Ameri- in the regular season. In the postseason, that's still insanely high leverage and you're uh, on and trying to pinpoint your location on every pitch. You're not taking any batters off. Uh, so we just can't expect these guys to throw... 120, 130 pitches, and be effective in the, in in the postseason when they're working so hard for the first 70, 80, 90 pitches. The hook just has to be earlier, and so I think that's one of the adjustments that uh, baseball teams are going to have to make. And I think Buck Showalter has has made it pretty well, uh, but I think the next generation of baseball managers are going to manage the postseason much differently than they have before. Okay, uh, I, I, we could talk more about the playoffs, but um, you you. Don't usually have to talk all day. I, I do want to ask a couple questions too. Uh, we're going to be starting the contract crowdsourcing uh, proje- project pretty soon. Yeah. Uh, literally uh, just before we get on, I sent you a rough draft list 
Okay. I sent, I sent you a rough draft list, and uh, we could do this in real time because we'll start it. What is it? What are, you, are you okay back there? Yeah, I'm, I'm outside because I'm having some work done on my bathroom, and they're pounding away on tiles and things. Okay. All right, fair enough. So, uh, but they've got a window open, so going outside wasn't as good a solution as I thought it would be. So, so last year we did about 50 players. For this contract crowdsourcing, right? 47, yeah. Yeah, well, yeah. Are you suggesting it's not about 50? No, slightly less than 50. <laughs> okay, all right, fair <laughs> enough. Um, so I just sent you a list of 42 players. Okay. Uh, 42 that I'm pretty sure should be on the list. It, it, that excludes Cuban free agents. Okay. Uh, of which there are probably three or four notable ones. Um, yeah, Yuzmani Tomas is like the, the big one, right? Yeah, the big one, and then there's Mizell, uh, some Mizell, uh, uh, Jazen, Jazen, anyway. Um, uh, okay. Here are, let's, alright, so one, there's some questionable hitters. Uh, and there are also some questionable pitchers. And I'm gonna say a name and you tell me if you think it should be included. Okay. Okay. Uh, let's see. Among the hitters. Oh, an interesting one because he was worth four wins last year and definitely not that this year. Chris Denorfia. Uh, no. I'm gonna say no. Okay. I'm gonna put X's next to it. I'm putting X's next to it. He was interesting because uh, he had been good before, but had a bad year. Uh, Corey Hart. Yes. Include him. Yes, I would include Corey Hart. Okay, all right. Because why? You think someone will pay him because he's got a bat? I, yeah, I mean, I think you look at, like, uh, bat-only guys. Uh, they do pretty well in, in free agency. And, you know, teams like the Rays and A's are always looking for these reclamation project type guys and then get on the cheap. So I think Corey Hart will get... I majorly contract maybe for some millions of dollars. Okay. Uh, he's interesting insofar as he was one of the best players in baseball for like 10 years, uh, but he's old now, Ichiro Suzuki. Uh, yes. Okay, why? Yeah. Uh, I think he's actually still fairly useful as a major league player. He's, his skills have not declined to the point where he cannot help someone, especially as a part-time player, uh, and I, I wouldn't even be surprised if he got, you know, four or five, six million bucks. Okay. Uh, he's interesting insofar... This feels like the dating game. Yeah, okay. It's a contestant number four. Yeah, right. This is good, though. It's it's yeah. quick. It's quick. All right. Uh, he's interesting insofar as he was an excellent prospect and was an excellent player for a couple of years and then fell off of earth. Brady Sizemore. No, Ricky uh, Weeks. Okay. Ricky Weeks. Uh, see, I feel like the, I should get this would be more fun. If uh, okay, well, get that, the player well, that, based on, uh, you know, Ricky Weeks. Absolutely, you should do Ricky Weeks. He, he had a pretty decent he, season. He had a good year as like a part-time player, yeah. Yeah. I think I, the, the fascinating question will be if someone can finally, finally convince him he was not a second baseman. The Brewers asked him to see if he would go play somewhere else this year, and they've asked him before, and he said no. Uh, he probably belongs in the outfield, and he could probably have a decent second career as an outfielder. Uh, but if he says, I'm a second baseman and a second baseman only, it's going to cost him some money. Right. Well, if it costs him a major league job, he'll probably make that switch, I mean, right? he'll get he'll get a major league job, no question. But okay. I think a team would come to him and say, hey, if you're willing to play the outfield too and we can use you as a kind of utility guy and you can play five days a week, we'll pay you more than if you're only a second baseman and you can only play three times a week. Will he be like, uh, oh, boy, who is Ray that? Ray Durham? Oh, yeah, that's an interesting – I was thinking yeah, the, the – um, there's a right-handed batter for the Reds that has played like left and center fielder for them quite a bit over years. Skip Schumacher? No, better better than Skip Schumacher. Uh, this is gonna. Uh, this is all right. This is. I'm Chris gonna do Heisey? Chris Heisey, Yes. Okay. Is he better than Chris Heisey? Uh, probably. Okay. 
Does he does he retain as much athleticism? Because Heisey can play center, has played center, I think. Yeah, no, I think uh, Heisey's probably a better athlete than Weeks, but Weeks is a better hitter. Okay, all right. Um, so we'll keep we'll include uh, Ricky Weeks. Yeah. Uh, uh, bad first guy uh, has hit 20 home runs recently. Josh Willingham. Uh. Also 36. Yeah, and talking about retiring, so um, I'd say yes if he doesn't retire. All right. But no, if he does. Okay, I'll put uh, YX, YX. Interesting insofar... Okay, Uh, we're doing the quiz part. Interesting insofar as he had a miserable first half of the year, uh, resurfaced with another team, and was surprisingly good with them, but not surprising given his skill set. Grady Sizemore. Played with a team that had uh, great success with quasi-reclamation projects. Uh, in the second half of the season. So that's a Yankee. Mm-hmm. Uh, mm, mm. Is a hitter? Yeah. I mean, you, no, you're not asking me if we're going to crowdsource Chase Headley, because if you don't do that, you're fired. No. Ch- uh, Chris, Chris Young. Oh, yeah, Chris Young. Yeah, do Chris Young. Because he, he seemed like a very sound uh, acquisition yeah. by the Mets. I, I wrote very positively about his acquisition last year, and Mets fans have not forgiven me for it. Yeah, right. Sorry about that. Uh, he's interesting insofar as he was at one point the top prospect in baseball, but has had a disappointing major league career. Grady Sizemore. <laughs> is this, and, it, but has a, uh, has a penchant for showing up on playoff teams. Uh, Delman Young. Delman Young. Yeah, uh, yeah, do Delman Young. Yeah. Okay, alright. Yeah. So we're gonna have, we're already in more than 50. We're not gonna be able to accept all these guys. Well, we only did, we, I only said yes to like five of them. And you were at 42. Well, I had 42 before. Okay, so 42 plus 5 is not more than 47, 50. and then that includes, we have Cubans, and I haven't even done the pitchers. Oh, you haven't done any pitchers? Have no. you 47 hitters? No, I'm, I haven't gotten onto the questionable pitchers yet. Uh, okay. Well, maybe I will reevaluate, like, Corey Hart once you say we have to get back down to 50. Okay. Uh, interesting insofar as he doesn't really have much in the way of stuff, but had uh, b- b- produced some excellent starts for the Yankees down the stretch. Grady Sizemore. <laughs> Uh, no? Uh, Not Grady Sizemore? No, he's a pitcher. He's a pitcher, and he's a t- he has an Italian surname, and he's from Massachusetts. Uh, I don't know. Chris Capuano. Oh, yeah, okay. Uh, yeah, do Chris Capuano. Okay, do Chris Capuano. Um, among the most generic pitchers in Major League Baseball, not named Grady Sizemore, <laughs> um, uh, and he came back and made, I think, nine starts at the end of the season after missing the beginning of the season due to injury. Uh, with Atlanta, probably he did it. It's not Aaron Harang either. Uh, yeah, I, I don't know. Gavin, this is Gavin, surprising, surprisingly hard. Gavin Floyd. Oh, Gavin Floyd. Yeah, I, I wouldn't call him nondescript. Oh, he was he, good for a while. Yeah, well, maybe it's also the difference. I didn't. I, I never knew the difference between him and John Danks. I still don't. Oh, Gavin Floyd is good. Right. Or well, one, one was good. a right-hander. One was a left-hander. Yeah, right. As well. So yes, do Gavin Floyd, and you, that, we, that means we can. Uh, knock Corey Hart off the list. Okay, all right. I'm knocking Corey Hart off the list. Yeah, he's gone. There's also a couple other guys up there that I did not ask you about. Uh, we can maybe get to them if this proves to be continues to be entertaining to you. <laughs> um, let's see. A relatively nondescript reliever, except was pretty good this year, and then was pretty even better when he joined the Royals. Uh. Jason Fraser. Yeah, exactly right. Hey, good. Uh, yeah, I would do Jason Fraser. He was pretty good. 
Uh, he was pretty good. He's actually had a pretty solid career as like a you know just kind of underrated middle innings seventh yeah. inning guy. Uh, wait, so what do we know about the bump that players get if they've played decently on a playoff team? Does it exist? Uh, postseason or like in in salary? Yeah. Uh, I think we have not yet proven that it exists. I think there's been some research a while ago that shows that teams overpay for players who do well in the World Series. Mm -hmm. So, like, maybe at the very end of the season, like, there's a final impression. Right. Uh, But I think beyond that, we haven't seen much. Okay. Uh, Let's see. Uh, Has posted disappointing uh, excerpts for a couple years now, but has kept his, like, has had ERA minuses in, like, the 70s. He is a uh, side-arming right-hander ended up on Oakland. Uh, I don't know. Luke Gregerson. Oh, yeah, he's not really a side armor. Ugh, well, whatever. He's he has a high yeah, he ground a ball sliders. race. So he throws a lot of sliders. Yeah, okay, yeah. Side, he low. He has a low arm slot. He does a low arm slot. Yeah, sure. Okay, all right. Okay, yeah. Uh, uh, yes, do Luke Gregerson? Because okay, he, he ended up pretty well. Maybe that means we can kill Del- Delman Young. You want to kill Delman Young? Yeah, we're gonna kill Delman Young. I feel like maybe Delman Young might actually get paid this winter just because he had like a decent, uh, superficial batting line as a part-time player. Well, who do you think is more important, Willingham or oh, Delman yeah, Young? Oh, well, Willingham can go away. Yeah, we because we just said he we, he was Josh really, Willingham. We've retired you, and we said no to we, we said no to Denorfia too. Yeah, definitely no to Denorfia. Okay. Uh, uh, let's see. Uh, was a successful setup man, then successful uh, closer, largely based on the power of his slider, despite the fact that he lacked velocity, uh, but had lost his closer's role this year, and it's not clear what, what he'll be. Rafael Soriano. Mm-hmm. No, no, Soriano's not included in this, because he's got the weird option thing going on. Oh, there's no chance that option's going to get picked up. He's a free agent. Yeah, but, well, is he going to get paid? Yeah, I mean, someone will find, yes, absolutely. Rafael Soriano should absolutely be on the contract crowdsourcing. Uh, really? Yeah. I don't even absolutely. like, I don't like thinking about Rafael Soriano. Okay, right. well, sorry. Ugh. You're really thinking like we, the crowd would be more interested in speculating about Luke Gregerson's next contract? I don't know. I just or don't Chris Capuano? We said yes to Chris Capuano and you're saying no to Rafael Soriano? I don't want to think about Rafael Soriano. I just okay, don't like well, thinking about him. I've added him to your list. Ugh, alright. This one is, he pitches for the Giants. Sergio Romo. Yeah. Uh, yes, absolutely. Romo will get paid this winter, too. He had a weird season. He had a good second half. Oh, he did? Okay. All right. Yeah. I don't pay attention to stuff like that. Yeah. Uh, this guy uh, was was a reclamation project, or quasi-reclamation project for the Pirates. Uh, got paid this offseason uh, by another uh, uh, Pennsylvanian team and did not perform well. S- starter. Uh, well, it sounds like either Phillies or Pirates, right? So, uh, yeah, yeah, I don't know. A.G. Burnett. Oh, how are you, how are you not even, Burnett, yeah, no. Burnett is absolutely on the list. He's absolutely, dude, you don't know, you understand, there's a lot of people on this list. I had to, okay, I had to keep it these, short. You're like, you're like, you've saved some obvious names to the end where you're like, let's talk about Chris Capuano. Like, tell- there's no way I would have said yes to Capuano if I knew that Burnett was a consideration. <laughs> yeah, but you gotta see, this list is really deep. It's a okay. really deep list. Maybe for example, for example an ob- let me an see it all at once. Yeah, well, I emailed it to you, that's why. <laughs> it's like a, a weird way to do it then. Well, okay, so I think we can all agree 
This is a failed experiment. <laughs> yeah. Uh, well, it was entertaining for all the Grady Sizemore references. Yeah. It, yeah. I guess it was. Yeah. But like, uh, hey, what do you think Chris Young will get this year? Uh, pitcher or hitter? The, the pitcher. I think he's going to get one-year deals till the end of time. Oh, yeah. Uh, but I can see him getting seven or eight million bucks. There's a, it's kind of a competitive pitch. You know, going through this, this is a good chance to, to sort of, cause it's hard to keep all, what, like 750 major leaguers in your head at once. Yeah. Um, and so you, you're, this, a, a project like this forces one to say, go like, hey, did that guy have a good year or not? You know, right. or, or you look at like, the, the peripherals, which is maybe the thing you paid attention to, but then you look at the ERA after the season to say, will that help him get paid or not? Right. And like, so for example, Josh Beckett had a good year. He did yeah. until he got hurt. Yeah. Which well, hurt him. He's definitely on the list, though. Good. I'm glad he's on the list. Okay. <laughs> all right. Uh, all right. Yeah, that's fine. Anyway, oh yeah, the other thing I was gonna ask you about. Uh, I've kept you over, but uh, like three days after he retired from baseball, Derek Jeter. Uh, launched Derek Jeter, who simultaneously hardly ever said one word of substance to the media, but simultaneously that was beloved by them. Mm-hmm. Uh, started a website, which it seems to me is like a like a hostile gesture insofar called Players Tribune, so far as it allows communication between players and fans directly without uh, the any intrusion from the. From the from the media, yeah, I think uh, uh, it's an interesting uh, it's an interesting concept, right? And this is basically what Twitter is, yeah, right. And so this this medium already exists for players to speak to the media directly or to speak to fans directly, but they only can do it in 140 character bursts. Mm-hmm. Uh, is there a spot for longer direct communication from? Fan, from player to fan, probably is Derek Jeter the guy who's going to figure out the platform? Probably not. Well, he, I, don't, I assume he's not doing the programming. Well, sure, yeah, but I don't think like uh, besides attending his name to this, my guess is that this is not going to. This wouldn't be news if it wasn't Derek Jeter. Okay, but but is it is it a hostile gesture? I don't think it's a hostile gesture. No, okay. I I think it is a. Uh, it is, there's so there's a need for a different medium than currently exists. I don't think anyone knows exactly what that medium needs to be, mm-hmm. but it is there's a medium that's missing. <laughs> okay. All right. Did we do it, Dave Cameron? We we did it. We talked we talked for almost forty minutes. That's a, that was that's a, a long fact. time. Yep. Sorry about that. All right. Yeah. Uh, well, on behalf Brady of, Sizemore. On behalf of the listeners, I I thank you. That is, did uh, you say? Oh, thank you. Yeah, you're welcome. That, oh yeah, you're welcome. Uh, that is uh, Dave Cameron, managing editor of Fangraphs and Carson Stooley. This has been Fangraphs Audio.